Spirit to guide us, then the flesh will not guide us as much. All right? So he's juxtaposing those two things. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. Because if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. The wages of sin is death, right? But if by the Spirit of God you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And now here is, here's the money part that we're getting to, this paragraph here. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that breath of God within us, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now that is a piece of very thick grade A beef we just chewed on there. And we're going to need to take a little bit of time to digest it, okay? What I hope you heard as we read through that is that the Holy Spirit being given to us is not just a mark of God saying, I'm going to protect them. Not just a mark of God saying, I'm going to empower them, that the Holy Spirit being imparted and giving, given to us is one, uh, is the way that God says, this one is mine. And it brings about our adoption to sonship. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a minute. I was created in God's image. Doesn't that mean that I've already, I'm always been a child of God? Why does he even need to adopt me in the first place? But that's not true. We may be image bearers of God, but from the moment that, 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 that Adam and Eve touched that fruit to their lips and sin entered this world, it corrupted our relationship with our creator. It drove a wedge between us. And, and before we point fingers at them and say they're responsible, just know we have backed that up. We have confirmed our own rebelliousness time and time and time again. Every single one of us has sinned. Anybody who says they're without sin is a liar, is the way that uh, James puts it. So we are all, I'm sorry, John put it. We are all, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of, of the righteous, perfect standard that God set for us. And so although we bear his image, we are estranged from him and we are not part of his family. And yet God was not willing to simply give up on us. He wasn't willing to turn his back on us and say, well, they were a lost cause. Let's just go ahead and wipe the world and start over again like he did with Noah. Instead, he says, no, I'm not willing to turn my back on them. I love them and I'm going to redeem them. And he did that on Good Friday, a couple thousand years ago when Jesus went to the cross and bore our sins upon him so that we could be restored back into relationship with the Father. But that wasn't even enough. Just dealing with our sins so that we could come into his presence was not enough for him. He also decided, I want them to become part of my family. I want that kind of intimate relationship that I created them for. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit as a way of adopting us into his family as the first fruits of our inheritance, namely an intimate relationship with God, which is what he created us for in the first place. Now we're using this term adoption 
a lot. And I would imagine that all of us are hearing that term adoption through 21st century ears, which means that we're thinking of adoption like, what are the reasons why we adopt today? We adopt young infants or children in order to provide for them as they are, you know, because they're, they're weaker than us, because they don't have as many resources to protect themselves. So we adopt them to protect them and provide for them so they can reach adulthood. That's kind of the reason why we adopt mostly today. But in, I want you to remember that what, when Paul is writing this, he's writing not to Jews, because actually within Judaism, there's really not a, a, a lot of adoption that happens. He's writing to people living in Rome who are primarily non-Jewish, they're Gentiles, which means that when they hear adoption, they're hearing it through the lens of the Greco-Roman custom of adoption, and it's a very different reason for adopting. In the Greco-Roman custom, they would not adopt young infants and raise them into adulthood. Their focus was less on the infant and much more so on the family and the family name and the family inheritance. If you don't have a male heir to pass this on to, you're going to take usually an adult and say, you know what? You have represented our family. You've been a servant within our family. You've been somebody we respect greatly. I want you to become part of our family. You will take our name and you will inherit the entire estate. And therefore, the family name will continue. That's what Roman adoption was typically about. And there are a few things that would happen legally at that moment of adoption. First off, the person being adopted had no responsibilities other than this one. They needed to publicly acknowledge that they were willing to be adopted. That's it. That's all that it required. And when that happened, a few things happened. Can we throw, can we throw this up? Oh, it's already there. Perfect. Here are some of the things that happened in first century adoptions. First, by law, The old life of that person was wiped out. That means that if you had debts that had been accumulated, that you could not possibly pay off, they were gone because those debts belonged to a person who no longer exists. You became, for all intents and purposes, a brand new human being. Or, as as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, the old has gone The new has come, right? You are a new creation. Secondly, the adopted person gained all the rights of a legitimate child in his or her new family. In other words, you got a brand new family. You get a brand new mom and dad. And you are fully a part of their family. Thirdly, the adopted person became an heir to the family estate. And that means even if after you were adopted... They had another child that was born the natural way. They couldn't say, you no longer get the inheritance. No, you are still a co-heir with any other people that either are adopted or a part of the family. You have an inalienable right to an inheritance within the family. So can you see why Paul would use this language and the power of it? Because to be adopted into God's family through the gift of the Holy Spirit brings in several things. First off, we become new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. Our our massive sin debt, and some of us have a really, really, really long ledger of debts that we have built up because of choices we've made. We have lived rebellious lives. We've made some horrible decisions. And when we come to Jesus Christ, 
The blood of the cross basically scrawls across as paid in full. Remember when Jesus on the cross, the very last word from his lips, to telestai, it is finished, or, or it was also the word that they would scrawl across a, a bill that you owed. When you paid the last payment, they would write to telestai, meaning it is finished, paid in full. That's what took place on the cross. Everything that we have accumulated is paid in full. It's gone. It no longer is part of us because we are a brand new creation. Amen. Secondly, we get a brand new relationship with our Father in heaven. I I love how he says this here. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you fear again. Fear perhaps punishment Fear separation, fear even walking into God's presence because you go, I'm not worthy. We all have felt that. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now the term Father is one we're familiar with. But it can still be a formal title, can't it? Like you, you, sometimes you have called other people, hello, Father, and it, feel, it can feel a little bit distant. But that term Abba is a very different term. Abba is the the Jewish or Aramaic way of saying daddy. And in fact, those of us who were in Israel when we were just about a month ago, as we were walking on this hike, there was a a, a Jewish family that was walking near us. Little girl, she was probably about two years old, was trying to keep up with her family. And she was just having a hard time over the rough terrain. And we heard her go, Abba, Abba, Abba. And her dad turned towards her and picked her up and held her. And we were like, so sweet, right? That term Abba is as close, it means daddy. It is by far, without a doubt, the single most intimate name of God found anywhere in scripture. There are plenty of, of high elevated names. Abba is the most intimate of all of them. And it is the name that only a legitimate child can call the parent. And there's only one person we see that ever calls God, Abba, in Scripture. Who was that? Jesus. Jesus called the Father Abba. But here's the thing. Because we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God, Paul is saying that we have the right, just as much right as Jesus, to call him our Abba, our Daddy. Just as much right to call for him and basically invite him to pick us up. Thirdly, because we have been adopted into the family of God, we stand to inherit a great many things. Well, what kind of things are we talking about? We're talking about resurrected bodies that won't wear out, won't break down, and won't get sick, that cancer can no longer consume, that won't die. We're talking about an eternity spent in relationship with our Creator, our Abba, and our big brother, Jesus. And we're talking about a new heaven and a new earth that we get to join him in in, in working and moving forward. Just like we were created to do way back there in Genesis 1. That's just a piece of what we stand to inherit. The most important thing I hope you get out of that list is that we get to inherit relationship. That's not just for a little bit, but for an eternity. So those are some of the things that we stand to gain because of our adoption, and that is good. But there's one more thing that if we dig just a little bit deeper, one more super crucial thing that we will find that comes about because of our adoption that I really don't want us to miss. 
Before I get there, let me just paint briefly a picture of what life was like for children in the first century within the Roman you know, kingdom. It was not an easy place to grow up. Life was tenuous for a child. In fact, when a child was born and the midwife took that baby infant that had just come out of his mommy's tummy or her mommy's tummy, the midwife would wrap that child in, in swaddling clothes and a little bundle and, and she would place it at the feet of the father. And then the father would look down at this child that bears his DNA, that is made in his image, and this father would decide whether or not he wanted that child. And if he stooped down and picked the baby up in his arms, it meant, yes, this is my child. I accept this child as my child. But if he chose not to pick it up and instead he turned his back on the child, then the midwife, without a word, would pick the baby up, carry it outside, and leave it on the street corner. It was such a well-known, common practice in Rome that they called, they had a term for it. It was called exposure because you're exposing this child to the elements. And the expectation is this child is going to die. You're basically taking it out like the trash. And the really awful part of all of this is there was an entire slave trade and sexual slave trade where these children were gathered up by people who had very bad intentions and they were raised to be slaves, raised to be used because they were just an item. They were no longer an individual. They no longer had a personality. They were just a thing. And it's awful. And that's just infants. Even as a a grown child within a family, you could still be disowned at any point for any reason if the father so chose. It was a tenuous time to grow up in this world within that thing. But here, this then brings us to the power of adoption because according to Roman law, a father could disown his own naturally born children, but by law, he could never disown his adopted children. In other words, once you are adopted, you are completely and utterly secure in your identity as a child of that family. Now think about the ramifications for us as sons and daughters of God. You are secure. Remember, you didn't do anything to earn your standing. You didn't do a lot of good things so that God would go, oh, you know what? You're right. You really are a good person. Yeah, I'd like you to be part of my family. You remember what what Paul said just a couple of chapters earlier? This is how God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us while we were still in open rebellion, while we were still living any way that we wanted before we had ever taken a step towards God. He came all the way to us and he sent Jesus to die in our place so that we could be restored back to relationship with him. That's the extent of his love for us. You didn't earn it. So instead you can just rest in it. And anything you do, any sort of response, any sort of sharing the gospel, any sort of sort of showing up to church, any sort of serving other people is not done as a prerequisite to his love, but rather as a response to it. You are loved, so live out of it as opposed to do a lot of good things so that you could be loved. It's a radically different posture. Because to do a lot of things so you can be loved is a posture of fear and anxiety. And I got to do, I got to perform, I got to do enough. And a lot of us are living that way. 
But when we can rest in, I am loved, I am his child, I am secure, then it's not performance. It's not trying to earn anything. It's simply responding to it out of gratitude. So you are secure in the Father's love. You are secure in your identity as a son or daughter of God if you have given your heart to Jesus and you have decided to call him your Lord and follow him as a disciple. But just because we're secure doesn't mean we always feel secure, huh? I have some friends who um, about eight years ago adopted a little boy from Ghana named Sammy. And Sammy was three years old when they got him. They think. They don't quite know how old he was. They said he looks like a three-year-old. Let's say he's three. He just celebrated his 11th birthday. When they brought Sammy home, he had already bounced from orphanage to foster family back to orphanage back and forth three or four times in the three years that he was on the planet. When they got him, they brought him home and he was secure because he had been adopted and he was fully their kid, but he didn't feel all that secure. And they knew because during meals, Sammy had this tendency to to grab bread rolls and stuff them in his pocket and then hide them around the house. Basically, it was what he had learned to do at the orphanage in order to protect himself, to make sure he had food because you never knew when the next meal was coming. And even though he had regular meals at the Gibbs home, even though they were providing, he he knew he was being cared for, but he didn't know how long it was going to be and he was waiting for the other shoe to drop, so he was kind of taking care of himself as a three-year-old. And a lot of us go through our relationship with God a little bit like Sammy does. Huh? Yes, God, thank you for sending Jesus. That's great, and I love you, but what do I need to do? What do I need to do? How can I make sure that I'm okay? How can I make sure that I'm set up? How can I make sure that if if you're not really there or you don't show up, I got myself. I can take care of myself. And it's an exhausting way to go through life. But but here's something. Can we throw the the quote from, um, from Lee Strobel up there? This is something I, this is, oh yeah, let's do this first. Yeah, keep that there. So this is the the idea that we are completely secure led Paul in the same chapter in Romans chapter eight to declare this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That is the foundation of our relationship. It is not fear-based. It's faith-based. And it is based upon our security as his kids. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. And that is good. But going back to this point that we at times receive God's love, but we have a hard time resting in God's love. I, I love this quote from Lee Strobel. He says, faith is only as good as the one in whom it's invested. Faith is only as good as the one... It's it's like saying this. I trust, I have faith that this table can hold me up. But if this table is not capable of holding me up and I jump up on top of it, I'm going to hit the ground. It doesn't matter how much faith I put in it. It has more to do with the table's ability to hold me up. I believe that my car is good and it'll get me where I want to go. But if my car is broken down, I don't care how much faith I invest in it. If it doesn't have the ability to drive, it's not going anywhere and neither am I. Put another way. 
Our relationship with God is not dependent upon our faith. Our relationship with God has more to do with God's faithfulness than our own. Does that make sense? Sammy did not feel confident in his relationship with his parents. He was so used to bouncing from places. Every single person that he had attached to and began to root into a relationship with ultimately disappeared from his life. So he had learned that relationships are fleeting and you can't trust anybody but yourself. As a three-year-old, which just breaks my heart. But at the end of the day, his standing in the Gibbs household had less to do with how he felt in terms of his confidence than it did with who his, the parents' commitment they had made. Brandy and Jesse had adopted him as their son, and he was completely and utterly secure in that new identity because of their faithfulness, not his. Make sense? You have been adopted. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and accepted that gift, that sacrifice, you are completely and utterly secure. And ultimately that has to do more with God's faithfulness than your own. Now one more thing. Just one last thing as I invite the worship team to come forward. One more thing I want us to recognize about our new identity as sons and daughters of God. On the day that Sammy became a member of the Gibbs household. He not only got a new father, a new mother, and home, he also got a new sister, a girl named Adelie. And in the same way, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit and we are adopted into his family. We not only get a new father that we can call our Abba, but we get a brand new family that is composed of every man, woman, and child throughout history who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and called him Lord and accepted the gift of salvation. And it is a big, diverse, beautiful, dysfunctional family. We're, we're going we're to talk over the coming weeks what it looks like to be part of this family, how to celebrate our differences. Because remember... Jesus may have prayed for unity, but he never prayed for uniformity. And we're going to celebrate the fact that because of our differences, we're actually stronger. But those differences also can create friction. And we're going to talk about how to navigate some of that friction. So that's where we're going in the coming weeks. But if there's anything you hear today, I hope that you hear this. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ and you have accepted the gift that he paid for on the cross, which is not something you could have ever earned, not something you have to earn. It is simply a gift that you can say thank you for and receive. If you have said yes to him and you have chosen to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus, then you are a son or daughter of God because God has given you his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and he lives in me. And that spirit has brought about your adoption. You are a son or a daughter of God and you are completely and utterly secure in that identity. So you don't have to try to do anything to earn it. You don't have to try to be good enough. You don't have to make up when you stumble, fall flat on your face. Instead, you can just cry, Abba, Abba, and he will pick you up, dust you off, place you back on your feet, probably surround you with a few others to walk with you to catch you the next time if you're willing. He loves you more than you could ever possibly fathom. Those of us who are parents understand the depth of that unearned and unshakable love. I don't like my kids all, all that much sometimes with the choices they make, but I never cease to love them. 
right? And I am a sinful, selfish human being. Imagine how your father in heaven feels about you. So may you stop striving to earn his love. May you rest in it as his child. And as as one of your brothers may simply say, welcome to the family. Let's figure out what it looks like to be family, shall we? Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the reminder of the cross that we don't have to earn it, that you've already done all the earning. We just get to rest in our new identity. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for empowering us. And thank you for calling us your sons and your daughters. We are grateful that we get to become part of your family and for the security we have in you. I pray, Father, that you would help yourself to our lives. Holy Spirit, guide our steps that the world might know that we are your sons and daughters and that they might come to know you. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Hey, we- all right. Hey, if you would just bow your heads for a moment. I just want to play a, pray a play, prayer. <laughs> Father God, we are so grateful that we get to call you our Abba, our Daddy. We're so grateful that we don't have to do anything to earn that standing. We simply receive it as your sons and your daughters. When we say, Jesus, um, I, don't, I don't deserve it, but I, I thank you for dying for me. Would you come into my life? Would you begin to clean house? And I thank you, Father God, that you impart your Holy Spirit into us to enable us to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We are those cracked and flawed vessels, and yet you fill us up with your love and your presence to overflowing. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would fill us to the brim and then continue to fill us so it pours into, it spills over into our workplaces, into our schools, into our families, into our neighborhoods. I pray that we would literally be light bearers as we leave this place because the church has never been a building. It's always been a people. And we get to go be the church now. We get to go be those conduits of light to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news that they don't have to try to fix themselves. So would you go with us now as we leave to go be the church? We thank you that you go with us. And Holy Spirit, help yourself to our lives to glorify our Father God. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.